Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm your host, Christy Totten. Homelessness in the city of San Diego is soaring. Over the past year and a half, the number of people living without shelter in downtown San Diego has more than doubled. In December 2020, 622 people were living downtown. Last month, more than 1,300 people were counted. The city hasn't been able to compel many unsheltered people to accept shelter. Now San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria has vowed to take a tougher approach. He met with the San Diego Union-Tribune editorial board last week to discuss his new policy. Here's an excerpt of that conversation. You'll hear questions from editorial board members Matthew T. Hall and Andrew Kleski with responses from Mayor Gloria and his team. Okay, today the editorial board is uh, joined by San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria, uh, SDPD Lieutenant Sean um, Tecucci, and um, Renee Robertson from the ESD, um, Environmental Services Department. And we're gonna be talking about homelessness. I, I know, Mayor, there was a fairly significant shift in your tone and approach this week in response. And, and there's been some criticism about some of the uh, approaches uh, that have been taken in, in response to these encampments. But before we get into that, I just wanna set the table for people and ask you specifically, um, you know, the, um, the uh, San Diego Downtown Partnership crunches these numbers, has been doing a homeless count going back a decade or so, more, I think, since 2012. Um, and the numbers this year are higher than they've ever been. Um, I'm just wondering what, what, why, why is that, generally speaking? And, and what does that say about your administration that, that you can't get your arms around um, this problem that we've all acknowledged has been a problem. I mean, you and I were talking about this when, when I was a columnist and you were a city council member. So this has been an intractable problem, but it's getting worse. It is getting worse, not just here in San Diego, but across the state of California, across the nation. Uh, I spent this last weekend at the US Conference of Mayors annual meeting. Every mayor was talking about this. There was a, a breakout session uh, for this subject uh, on Sunday morning best attended function of the entire weekend, uh, more so than economic development, COVID response. Uh, this is on the minds of mayors of big and small towns, coastal and inland cities, red and blue states. All of us are dealing with this. You're asking why. I would say simply that the pandemic has made this infinitely worse. I think many of us who are privileged to not have to live unsheltered uh, don't understand and appreciate how traumatic the pandemic has been to unsheltered people. It's been traumatic to all of us. We've all been impacted by it but our unsheltered population has been particularly impacted due to the lack of available shelter beds because of social distancing, the lack of workers to work in many of our shelters and homeless outreach capacities, um, the lack of limiting of the criminal justice tools that we use uh, in response to some of, of this challenge. Um, and the, some of those things are now changing. Uh, we recently got back some of our criminal justice tools in recent weeks. Uh, some of our shelter bed capacity has been increased in recent months, um, and we're trying to make full use of it, but it's two plus years um, of dealing with that. I think you overlay also um, uh, an addiction crisis uh, that you all have covered a bit. Uh, I admit to not being an expert on fentanyl, but I've kind of learned a lot more about it. And I think that's one of the difference makers in terms of the acuity um, and what you see out there, what Renee's people have to pick up after. Um, it is big, it is growing, it affects the situation tremendously. And it's part of why many people complain about it more. This isn't just someone sleeping on the sidewalk, it's someone who's an active substance use um, and they're really challenged by it. Uh, two more quick things, Matt. Um, 
a mental health crisis that we don't talk nearly enough about. Um, and again, the, I think the pandemic exacerbates that, but many of the folks you see out there, the folks who get the get it done complaints um, are in active uh, uh, behavioral health crisis. And you've seen me leading uh, across the state to try and change some of our laws to address it. And last and most prominently um, is our housing affordability crisis. Um, and you see my administration taking aggressive stances and being pro-housing and trying to ask every neighborhood to do its fair share when it comes to housing production. Uh, you know, we have underbuilt uh, for years and years, I would say decades, um, that bill is coming due. Um, and this is reflected in the fact that you have people with very good salaries who are struggling to make ends meet to pay the rent and can't foresee buying a home. That's for people with good salaries who have had every blessing or every break. We're talking about people who've had few blessings and very few breaks and they end up on the street. So housing costs, fentanyl, mental health, the pandemic, this is all why our streets look the way they do is why they look very, very similar in most other cities in this country. How, and let me ask you this, how do you even attempt to solve a problem that literally can't be solved? There are more homeless people than there are beds to shelter them. The law says you need a bed to be open to do the uh, enforcement on encroachment that, that, that you have been uh, doing more of in the last few weeks. How do you square that circle? We have to have a bed available. Um, uh, for uh, cleanups and other efforts, encroachment—you know—that's it's our law says you can't encroach in the public right of way, uh, and so we are permitted to enforce on that. But back to your question, Matt, how do you do it? You do what we're doing in the sense that under all of the difficulties I just mentioned to you, we've been able to increase shelter capacity by 25% in the last year, my first year uh, as mayor. Um, that was not easy to do uh, with the, all of the challenges I just mentioned, uh, but we've done it. And we've got. Uh, over 450 beds uh, on deck to come online. Uh, you also do it by lowering barriers. You know, you've heard the complaints. I can't bring my pet. I can't bring my partner. Um, all of those challenges that are, are used as excuses for not accessing the shelter system, uh, we've directed our providers to change that, to take people as they are and get them on the path to permanent housing. Uh, and then we have to diversify our offerings. Um, you know, whether it's the new women's shelter that will be opening shortly uh, in downtown San Diego, uh, some of the senior options that we're uh, moving forward with, the non-congregate options, the family options. Uh, what we're trying to do is provide a richer array of options uh, for folks to accept the help that we're offering them. Matt, I wanna take every excuse off the table uh, in order to uh, allow people to accept the help uh, get people to accept the help uh, that we're offering them. Uh, if all of that is unsuccessful, we still have to have some level of enforcement on our streets. We can't have lawlessness. We can't have open drug dealing. We can't have people with active felony warrants for arrest uh, roaming our streets um, as without any consequences. Uh, being homeless is not a crime, uh, but it is also not a get out of jail free card. Uh, and so we have to enforce the laws that are our books. How do you help people who are refusing the help? I think Gary's Worth's latest story said that you asked 200 people if they had approached 200 people about a, 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 a bed and three, which is a trend we're seeing up and down the state. And we've seen here in San Diego before. I mean, that number tells me that, that again, an intractable problem that can't be solved the way we're approaching it. Well, um, first off, you don't give up. Um, that's a part of why our coordinated street outreach teams that I implemented in March of last year and that we've grown in the budget in the current year, and we will continue funding for in the year ahead. These folks are out making repeated contact. Diane Bell has a great column today, really speaking uh, to that work. Uh, it is often unheralded, but a critical component of our homelessness response effort, and that work goes on. Uh, I will also point out that a lot of our police officers do this work extremely well 
too. Uh, I had an opportunity to do a press conference with Senator Padilla at St. Teresa, Calcutta uh, last week. The gentleman who is a resident there uh, shared with us that his moment of clarity came when he was being uh, uh, interacting with one of our police officers who said to him, you don't have to live this way. You know, there's a better option for you. And that was what got him to start thinking about uh, making a change. And he did it. And now he's successfully housed and off the streets for good. Um, so uh, we have to have that repeated contact and it comes in different forms. Some people, uh, the challenges are not as significant and we can have really uh, shallow subsidies and, and, and temporary assistance to get folks off the streets. Other people need far more significant interventions. And the, the challenge for us is to have an array of options that uh, sort of match the, the diversity and the complexity of why people are out there. Um, but Matt, I, I acknowledge that uh, you know, someone in active substance use um, is going to be hard to reach. Someone who is active in uh, psychosis is going to be difficult to reach. And that's a part of why you see me in the state of the city address say that we have to amend our state's conservatorship laws. Shortly thereafter, the governor put forward his care court proposal. I have been the leading proponent in the state of California as recently as this week, getting every mayor in this county to sign on in support of that legislation. Um, uh, working with my mayors across, fellow mayors across the state uh, to do the same, uh, to change the law. Something that was literally unthinkable a year and a half ago when I was in the legislature. Those bills did not necessarily advance. Uh, these bills are now advancing on unanimous bipartisan votes because people across the state see what is happening here in San Diego and across California that our current behavioral health system is not working. We need to make a change. And that uh, is at the state level with law changes. In the meantime, we're not waiting for the state to act. We're putting more beds uh, in the system. We're growing our number of permanent supportive housing options. And we're continuing to have outreach workers out there every single day asking people if they want help, hoping that like Albert at St. Patricia of Calcutta, that they eventually say yes, and we can get them into a bed and get them on their path to permanent supportive housing. Is that true that all 18, all 18 mayors in the county now support the care courts proposal? Okay. Yes. I had a question about that. The, uh, as you know, the American Civil Liberties Union and a bunch of other organizations came down against this. What's the message you would send to them? I mean, these, these are some pretty well-known names. They've got some pretty real concerns about what seems like a real common sense solution. Well, I like the way you characterize it, because I do agree it's a common sense solution. Um, and I respectfully disagree uh, with organizations that I'm often in agreement with. But um, on this particular one, they're wrong. Uh, the current state of our affairs on our streets is unacceptable. Um, and I believe that the vast majority of Californians agree with me, the governor, my fellow mayors, uh, in saying that something has to change. We cannot continue to allow uh, people who are deteriorating uh, to say that that's okay for them to be on the sidewalks uh, living this way. You know, the, the, the threshold currently is if you're not a threat to yourself or to others, that we're going to leave you be. And what that often means is that people who are extremely vulnerable, very sick individuals, that we just simply let them expire on our sidewalks. That's wrong. That is not compassionate. Um, and I, uh, I believe myself to be a civil libertarian. I would not remove someone's civil liberties lightly. And what, we're not suggesting that it'll be done easily, but we do think that something as common sense as considering someone's uh, medical history when considering them for conservatorship is an appropriate thing. Uh, that their ability to provide for their basic uh, shelter and food requirements is a, a component that should be considered by a judge when uh, whether or not to put someone into a conservatorship. Uh, and the care court proposal I see is a, is a, a median, a, a, a compromise of sorts, right? Noting that conservatorships is an extreme option that should be limited, but care court, you know, is something to say, you know, we had to do something before someone deteriorates so badly that we would take them to court and put someone else in charge of their affairs. Um, and uh, Andrew, I would acknowledge that there are some questions that need to be answered with regard to how this would be implemented. 
But what I know is that no piece of legislation is passed without those same kind of questions. And what we have to do is get a consensus across the state to say, no, we're not going to leave severely mentally ill, very medically fragile individuals to live on our sidewalk. And if we can agree to that, which I believe we will, then we'll have the impetus to actually start implementing a change. Uh, and this is the year to do it. The state has a nearly $100 billion budget surplus. This is the year where we can actually dedicate the resources to create the beds, the housing units, and the staffing to actually make sure that we're not simply shuffling people from one place to another, but we're actually getting them on the path to uh, stability. But generally speaking, what percentage of the San Diego homeless uh, population is that? We've seen in other cities, two people being well, benefiting from laws like this. And so, I, and you even alluded earlier that a lot of people say, well, my partner can't get into the shelter. My, my pet can't get into the shelter. How many people are, are, are literally beside themselves and how many people just don't want to accept an offer of assistance from the city? That if you're referencing the question about care court, the governor's proposal is anticipated to serve about 12,000 people. When you were mentioning the two people, I think you're referring to Laura's Law, which was a Correct. very, very, very modest attempt to try and address conservatorship reform, which everyone knows was not sufficient. And why uh, not only care court, but the eight bills authored by Senator Susan Eggman that address conservatorship reform are all advancing, right? We know that Laura's Law was insufficient to the size of the problem. Um, the care court and the conservatorship uh, bills uh, from Senator Eggman would address this, uh, at least a larger amount of the population. But to your question about what percentage of San Diego's homeless population, I think it's fair to say no one knows for sure that would uh, who would be eligible for conservatorship or uh, care court. I, we know that it's a minority um, because we're talking about people with acute and severe conditions, right? Um, now, while that may be a minority, what I believe is that's where the majority of our complaints come from. These are the folks that are standing on street corners screaming at the top of their lungs, folks walking around without clothing on, people who defecate in public, people who obstruct public rights of way um, during the daylight hours, you know, when, when other options are available. So these are often the people folks are most concerned about. Uh, and what we're doing is saying we have to have a better option than what we have, which is to simply say, if you decline services, we're not going to help you. To what I think you may have been getting at, which is what percentage of the overall population, so not not, not the part of folks who are so chronically homeless that they might be served by conservatorship or care court, but the, you know, 8,000 or so homeless individuals in our county, how many of them are service resistant? I can't say with certainty, but what I know is that if we are repeatedly uh, trying to make contact, build trust, build rapport uh, with the folks like whom Diane was talking about in her column, uh, you know, a good number of folks uh, come off the streets. Uh, for some, though, there needs to be uh, a, a coercive component to that. No one likes that. No one's happy about that. But the alternative is to allow them to take over our public rights of way, forcing children who are trying to go to school to walk in the middle of the street, uh, forcing businesses who are trying to conduct their lives, you know, maybe a business that somehow or another managed to get through the pandemic only to finally have an encampment in front of their business. And that might be their undoing, not a two-year you know, restriction on, on commercial activity, but the fact that there's a homeless encampment in their area that turns away customers and scares away employee. Um, and, you know, in those instances, we have to have some other options. And I, I do, from anecdotal conversations I have with folks, you know, there, there is some value in that. And it does get people uh, in a situation uh, where they're maybe willing to consider other options uh, than simply persisting on the sidewalk. Speaking of some of those other options, let me ask you about the encroachment, which mm -hmm. you were in the headlines for today. It sounded like a big policy change, but when I looked at the numbers, your predecessor uh, uh, cited 230 
people, or maybe it's there were 230 citations for encroachment in the January through May timeframe of 2020, 230. Your office did 16 your first year and has done four through May this year. So that doesn't sound like a big policy change to me, but is, is, should San Diego assume that you're gonna be doing more of that, that STPD will be making more of that or? Well, yes, but Matt, I, I, I don't think that's an apples to apples comparison. The data that you're citing is pre-pandemic. Uh, what has happened for the last two years, again, let's get out of our privilege and it's focused on what's happened. The jails have not been uh, admitting many people for various crimes. We have not had bail until May 15th. So many of the opportunities that we have have not, um, the, the opportunities to have enforcement have not been available uh, to us. Those are slowly coming back online. And uh, when we have not had the ability to book folks in, into jail, when we haven't had the ability uh, to hold folks there uh, under bail, uh, that has been a challenge, the ability to have enforcement. Now, we've always done a level of enforcement. Uh, let us recall that, you know, Sports Arena Boulevard, you know, you all wrote uh, extensively about that. Uh, there, there have been ongoing levels of enforcement, but not at the level uh, that you saw pre-pandemic, simply because many of the options available to us, the tools that we had available to us, were not uh, present. Uh, those are coming back, and so you will see probably a different posture because much like the hundreds of shelter beds that were unavailable to us during the pandemic, but are now coming back online, um, this uh, option and opportunity is now available to us again. So how much of uh, that practice should San Diegans expect to hear about? Well, we're gonna continue to uh, enforce the law. Uh, encroaching on the public right-of-way is not legal under our law. And if folks want to change that. I mean, that there's a process to follow that. Uh, but a civilized society, you know, adopts rules that we all agree to and we abide by them. And if we wish to change them, we have a process doing that's the benefit of a democracy. So I anticipate enforcing the law. How are we going to do that? Uh, well, Captain Takauchi's neighborhood policing uh, uh, d division does are well-trained. They have resources. They have the ability to take people's stuff to storage. They have the opportunity to offer people beds, and that can be a part of how we get more people off the streets. Uh, we're working uh, with other departments, uh, Environmental Services Department under Renee's leadership, our Performance Analytics Department, to look at where we're getting the most number of complaints, uh, where we have encampments that are, uh, I think, really uh, harming community quality of life. Uh, you know, things like what we've seen in Barrio Logan, where both sides of the streets are occupied, uh, where businesses are being impacted, where residents um, are harmed, and we're trying to focus our efforts where the, where, uh, the need is the greatest. Uh, so uh, you, you will continue to see us do regular cleanups um, as we've always done, um, but uh, will you also see us doing enforcement uh, of uh, uh, existing laws that we have on our books. In terms of the City. cleanups, you've seen a lot of videos uh, circulating. One of Mike McConnell's, I think, had more than 3 million views last I saw of a walker being thrown into a, um, a trash truck. And obviously there was a... Um, I don't know how I want to characterize it. Uh, discussion, a confrontation between you and a and a journalist uh, at City Hall this week um, about that episode and and the general practice. So let me just ask you. I mean, I, it sounds like the, the the policy isn't being matched by the stated policy isn't being matched by what's happening, which is people's stuff is being thrown away and people are complaining about it. Matt, I categorically reject that. Um, 
highly edited and selected um, social media posts are not fully reflective of the realities that our staff is dealing with on the on the ground. Um, I think Sean and Renee can probably speak to both of the incidences uh, better, um, and I'd ask them to do that. Um, but I would caution you from utilizing uh, social media post as being reflective of the full facts of the situation. I think you know that that's not the case. But Sean and Renee, would you please maybe comment on what Matt just asked about? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, thanks. Uh, for the walkers in particular, uh, I, uh, those were voluntarily given to us by a woman who said they were hers, who was riding a bike and had two other walkers there. And we see this pretty regularly in, in certain in, um, encampments, just the accumulation of items. And part of what ESD's role is, is obviously protection of public health and safety. And one way that we can do that is when somebody wants to give up items, um, we're, we'll take those, whether it be a bag of trash, trash that's in the gutter, that's litter, or other items. Um, I would say that we remain open to um, better ways to maybe incorporate reuse and recycling in, into our system. Um, and, you know, I, I run the recycling programs for the city as well. So um, those are all conversations that are happening. But um, as the mayor stated, uh, the walkers were given to ESD specifically consensually to be thrown away. Were they broken? Could you not have kept them for other folks who would benefit from them? We're, we're not in the position and my team does not do those types of assessments. What we're looking at is can we work with other nonprofits that could do that type of assessment? Um, otherwise, the best, the best bet is um, to remove the waste when we're given the opportunity so that's not blocking the sidewalks and so that it's taken from the person who's, who's the rightful owner of it. Well, to, to me, and I understand the mayor's respectful disagreement, to me calling it uh, uh, an operable walker waste is a bastardization of the term. It, it, I appreciate that you're saying that um, other groups could come in and, and see how to use that. Well, but I mean, what you're not... seeing to, to that, to the point of the videotape maker, which is Mike McConnell, Mike's response is, I'm gonna go to Target, I'm gonna buy 15 tents and I'm gonna give them out to people who, who, who don't have them anymore. So that well, doesn't we're... alleviate the problem, that just delays a solution. So let me just um, maybe correct if I've misstated. I'm not the one designating that as waste. It was the owner of of the of those two walkers designating those as waste. Captain, do you have something you wanted to add as well? Yeah, so I, I want to reiterate that the police department, we don't dispose of, let me first start off by saying, as all of you know, we utilize a progressive enforcement model. And that means that we contact an individual up to four times before they are then arrested and possibly booked into jail. Each level of contact that we make, we increase our enforcement activity. So the first contact is just a field, what we call a field interview. It's just a discussion. We, we offer services, we offer shelter, and then we educate on the law. At that step, we do not take any property. We don't impound property. We don't dispose of any property. Obviously, if the person tells us they've got property they'd like thrown away, um, ESD is there to support us, and we will certainly do that. The second level would be an infraction citation. Again, we're offering shelter, we're offering services, and then we're making an education of the law, and now we are holding them accountable by issuing an infraction citation. At that step, we do not impound property. 
we let them remain profit, remain, um, they, they can retain their property. If they tell us they've got property they want to dispose of, again, ESD is there to support us. The third step is exactly the same, except it's a misdemeanor citation, but the process is exactly the same as I've described. The fourth step would be actual physical arrest. When we make physical arrest of someone, that's placing handcuffs on them and placing that person in the back of our car, we ask each individual, what is their personal property? What would they like impounded? And we are required to gather all of their personal property, impound that property at police headquarters. When they tell us they don't want that property, in other words, they don't want to come to police impound to, to, to take it out of impound, because that's what's required, is they have to come down and claim their property, then that is the property that we will ask ESP to dispose of. There are also times when we have soiled property or things that's a biohazard that we just cannot impound. Food, for example, or soiled clothing, soiled tents. We, we cannot impound it, and so the decision will be made to then dispose of that property. But we have robust policies and procedures in place. It's available for the public to view. We have it on our website that really outlines what officers have to do, and it's, it's impounding a personal property. We give the, the, the arrestee a receipt so that when they are released from jail, they have an opportunity to come down to police headquarters, show the receipt, and retrieve all of their personal property back. Thanks again for listening to the San Diego News Fix. You can hear the full conversation online at sandiegouniontribune.com slash opinion. We'll be back tomorrow.